So there's been some good news. There's been some bad news. But there has been some baseball finally as spring training is here. It's not just a dream. Spring is around the corner and we have some stuff we got to get to. So it is the Paulacious one. Paul Shivari joining me, Mike Mercado here on the Sports Cubicle. Of course, Devin Tingle and the marvelous one, Dan Marver, throughout the entire show. So, Paulie, I'm going to give you a chance here. You know, here in the Sports Cubicle, we really don't keep things tidy. We have a, a box right here full of just old garbage, old stuff, and I have a few uh, baseball stories. So, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to go ahead and start rummaging. You know I like a good rummage. I love being able to. Let's see what I pull out. And okay, I pulled out White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. So, Paulie, this is his first spring training going into this season. It's a new regime. And an article came out over at The Athletic kind of talking about his first weeks as the head guy now of an organization. And there was just some interesting kind of funny bits that I thought Pedro Grafal kind of came off as. I think he comes off as a very likable dude. Yeah. And he mentions his how boring it is to have just stacks of paper and paper just in his back pocket because they're installing a new culture, a new system. And I think for my the big takeaway I, I took from this is him trying to I don't know if the word is legitimize his hire, but it seems like this is a dude who loves the game and is all in on his young roster or this roster that they put together. Your thoughts on Pedro Grafal's first few weeks as the head manager, as the the head ball coach of your Chicago White Sox? It's still way too early to judge him, especially since the last time you and I talked. You know, I I said don't put too much stock into spring training, and it's been so hard to you know be comfortable with the fact that Leori Garcia is probably not going to hit anything. Although he had a home run yesterday, which was nice, but uh, you know, it, it, and and as far as Grafal trying to come across as likable, I, I think he has no choice. You know, it was, uh, he, he's he's Rick Hahn's first, like, real managerial hire. The fan base is a little upset at the way things used to run or, or, or currently run at, at the ball club, so he has to be kind of Mr. Likable. But I think that was part of the reason. I, I don't know if it's necessarily he's putting on uh, a persona. I think this was, this was the guy that won the job. This was the personality that won the job. So I think you're seeing... Um, you know, for lack of a better description, a Ted Lasso type, where sure. just, you know, Mr. Positive and going to see the best in everything and just try and utilize what he's got. But I think he also has no choice but to. You know, this is a guy that might not ever get another man- managerial opportunity ever again, so he's got to take advantage of the one that he's got right now. And and you've seen how it works. Uh, guys that are great at managing, if, if, the, if he can turn this club into a consistent winner, then you've got teams like the Yankees looking at him. You know, the teams that will consistently put good winners out there and they see that, okay, this guy knows how to build success out of nothing, so we're going to try and poach him away from the White Sox. You should check out this article if you are tuning in to the Sports Cubicle. It's by James Fegan over at The Athletic. White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. I wanted to read this. Once you're hiring a new manager, you're expecting change, Grafal said, reiterating every organization is trying to find new angles. Quote, it's really not about old school. It's not about new school. It's about we're all in school, right? I felt like there's some tradition here. There's history here. There's hunger for new information that we talked about, and we're just going to blend it together. I like that quote because we can dissect that on so many different levels. The analytics department was being ignored by Tony La Russa. And there was, I think there still is a lot of room in this game for managerial gut decisions. 
that there is the just the the sixth instinct, the the sixth sense of being able to understand this is just not going this way. This is leaning towards this way. But numbers are important in this game. Mm-hmm. Stats are important and probability and projections. Like this is all one thing. So to hear somebody kind of come in, even if it is cliche, I think that is a very important thing to hear from for White Sox fans from the new manager is we're going to try to blend everything together. And I think that's only fair. I, I think I don't know how much Larusa did or didn't follow the analytics, but he was very upfront about that from day one. That you know, once the you know you can analyze everything you want and read into everything you want, but once the game starts, it's the game. And I think that's true. The analytics don't win the championships. The players win the championships. At the same time, we don't know now with the changes in the game how the analytics are going to change at all. You know, you have a guy that might have been batting like Joey Gallo might have been batting sub 200 or near 200 but now that there's no shift on him you might see those numbers increase so you know i think it's case by case basis i think analytics give you an informed decision but at the end of the day you got to go with your gut you know the the analytics might say okay you have a series of right-handed batters coming up this left-handed pitcher is not going to do well against them but at the same time there's clearly that pitcher must have had success against right-handed batters otherwise he wouldn't be in the show And that's why it's really important also that your manager, that your staff, both whether it's the training staff, the nutrition staff, or the coaching staff that have good relationships with their players. And Grafal brings this up in this James Fegan article over at The Athletic. Grafal has taken a different track after communicating with players during this offseason. I told them this today, that you've all won at some point, somewhere, Grafal said. You guys have a really good feel of what winning is about and what a good environment is about. Why wouldn't I want to ask those type of questions? Why wouldn't I want them to share with me what they feel is a good culture? So we've had a lot of good conversations individually, and now we've got to put it all together. This is something that it seems was lacking from the Tony La Russa era where the players were capping for him. They were defending him. They were staying face because they were troopers. But it didn't seem like it was reciprocated, that they were listening to the roster, that they were listening to the players, that that swag, that coolness kind of left the White Sox during that two-year era of Tony La Russa coming back. And this is coming, and you and I may, you may disagree, but this is coming from somebody who isn't a White Sox fan and was saying, this is a pretty cool team. And then they bring in the Hall of Fame baseball person, and as he likes to call himself, and it just changed everything. It all died the second that your mean Mercedes hit that like yeah. that garbage time home run, yeah. and that the, the egregious thing that Larusa did was he was uh, okay or content with Minnesota wanting to throw at him, and and I think that's that's the second he lost the the locker room, and the second that you know maybe maybe they were being a little more policed than the the marketing department would have you you know uh suggest with the change the game and all of the slogans that they try to convince us that you know this is the cool kids team when really it wasn't but it 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 didn't help either the um you know Tim Anderson uh not not that Josh Donaldson was in the right to call him Jackie Robinson but uh Tim Tim Anderson to uh, be upset about that and that, you know, all the players trying to protect him over that. And it's just like, hey, you, you got to let it go. You you, you got to have thicker skin th- than that. And, and I think this team was already a mess from the get go the second they hired Tony Larissa. The team was kind of a mess beforehand uh, with structurally kind of how they were and the fact that some of these prospects didn't work out. The fact that they just can't consistently develop players. They haven't really developed a good pitcher in a long time from draft to start. Uh their scouting department, their analytics department, you know, so it, it was just things got 
a little bit magnified, and, and Tony Larusa didn't help matters either. But at the same time, I think when you look at it from a um, uh, metaphorical standpoint, you know, may, maybe it was the right move to begin with. Maybe it exposed all the things. You know, maybe we'd still be mired in the muck or the mediocrity that that Rick Hahn uh, said way belong, uh, before they started the rebuild. You know, may, maybe they needed these things to happen in order to accelerate where they are now. The only hope at this point is that they are following analytics, guys are healthy, they are developing guys, and that Pedro Grafal can really push the right buttons to make everything work. You are tuned in to the Sports Cubicle here on WCPT 820 AM. It's the Paulacious One, Paul Chivari. It's Devin Tingle and the Marvelous One, Dan Marvel, throughout the entire show. I'm Mike Mercado, and this is from the article written by James Fegan over at The Athletic. White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. And it's going to be something we keep our eyes on throughout the entire month of March. What's going on in Arizona with the White Sox. And of course, Baseball Weekend Journal will be all over that and all the major news in Major League Baseball. I think we have time, Paulie, to go rummaging one more time here on the Sports Cubicle. Let's see what we find. Oh, man, Devin's got a lot of scuff in here. we got to make him clean up, and uh, we'll see what happens. Looks like you might uh, need a tetanus shot if you reach too far into there. Ow! When Sia Suzuki is off-screen, vision of next great Cubs team gets blurrier. And this is by Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. And if you're a sports fan and you're listening to The Sports Cubicle, check out The Athletic. They have great deals. And if you could get that six months for $1, do it. It is an asset for all sports fans to get this type of, of information. So this has to deal with Sei Suzuki now being injured. And this is the part of the article I wanted to kind of bring home because it's, it's a little worrisome. So, around the time of Suzuki's Mike Trout I Love You press conference, Wilson Contreras was on deck for the trade deadline, talking about free agency as a dream come true. Dansby Swanson, the shortstop for the defending World Series champions in Atlanta, had not yet made an all-star team or won a gold glove. So the idea of leaving his hometown team to sign a $177 million contract would have sounded far-fetched. Ian Happ and Nico Horner were first-round picks with big potential and inconsistent or limited track records. Marcus Stroman can still opt out of his contract after the 2023 season. Then and now, a tech-savvy farm system appears to set up to produce depth at major league level more than a superstar prospect. That vision of the future, though, gets blurrier when Suzuki is out of the picture. There is no timetable for his return to the game after Tuesday's reveal that he had diagnosed with a moderate left oblique strain, an injury that's particularly difficult to predict terms of recovery process. And then we found out later on into the week, there's a chance he'll be on the IL in the start of the season when opening day comes. There's some optimism. There's also cautious optimism where it's like, yeah, I could still end up the other way this cup season where 70-something wins and... I, I mean, what what about this roster tells you that they're going to be world beaters? I don't think anybody thinks world beaters, but if you look at okay, a weak division NL Central, winners. Let's see division winners. You look at, well, it all comes down to how that infield is, the pitching staff depth, and if Cody Bellinger is able to bounce back, if you have a healthy Suzuki. The idea is, is you have a roster good enough defensively with some pop in the bats to win a weak NL Central. But... If you don't have your outfielder stud that you spent a lot of money on and you don't have a Justin Steele, if Marcus Stroman isn't pitching well, if any of these kids like Wisniewski or whoever you have coming up, 
it, it becomes a, an issue for this Cubs team. It could go a lot of different ways. I still think they have one of the better defensive infielders, defensive infields in major in the National League at the very least. In the division, I think they're the best defensive team in the in the NL Central. So if you stay in close games, it might win you something. But you've got Nolan Arenado and and Paul Goldschmidt though in your division. Yeah, and then you have Nico Horner, Nico Horner, and uh, Danson Swan, uh, Dansby Swanson in up your middle. Yeah. So it's like arguably, yeah, who are the corners better or your? And and it's not really like football where defense wins you championships. No, defense no. will help you. Yeah. I, always defense will help you yeah. win championships. But in baseball, yeah. you need to score runs. So yeah, I. I look at this team and I'm not blown away by it. And it was kind of like what you're saying, you know, Suzuki's injured and now you're talking about how the team is compromised. And, you know, we're not even talking about how, you know, the question marks about Eric Hosmer or Cody Bellinger or even Trey Mancini. Uh, Who will be playing because Suzuki is. Do you look at Tucker Barnhart as a guy that is that truly going to be the guy that's going to, you know, captain behind the dish as your your guy to take you to the playoffs? What happens with a... Pete Crow Armstrong, what mm-hmm. happens with a Brandon Davis? Mm-hmm. There's like guys that are, there are young outfielders that are also in play. Christopher Morrell, Patrick Winsdom, where's David Bodie on this? Like these mm-hmm. are bats that you need to count on because say what you will, that first half before the second go around with the pitching, and even then it was a little adjusted, but then the injuries came. Say it looked like a professional hitter. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, you're like, that's a bat that now. No, it's a smart move. They they got him for I think for the value. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah, is the team built around him? Not necessarily, no, but, but he it's a it's a devastating loss to the lineup. But at the same time, if if you're looking at that, then I think that big picture, you're looking at probably a team that's high seventy wins, low eighty wins yeah, as as their ceiling. Um, things could work. I mean, but but I think in order for this Cubs team to be a 95 win team, everything's got to click. Everything, everything's got to everything. click. Guys got Certain guys in the pitching staff have to have career years. Rookies need to come up yeah. from the farm system yep. and and, and, and play they, well. They have truly more depth than I think when you look at the White Sox. You know, they sure. have way more depth. Where you know a couple of key injuries and the White Sox are going to be wondering what to do this year. Stuff. You know, yeah. if you look with the White Sox, if like Dylan Cease. If, um, gosh, I don't even know offensively who it would be. I guess Tim Anderson will say. Yeah. Um, and, and then Andrew and then, Vaughn. And then, yeah, or, or Andrew Vaughn. Let's say, let's say Anderson or Vaughn, if uh, Cease and if uh, Kendall Graveman get injured, I don't know if you have a team that's good enough to get to the playoffs. And that's what's frustrating because I believe the White Sox are good enough where if they had properly built their depth, mm-hmm. they could hang around through devastating injuries. And I just don't think it's worked out that way for them. Who they've decided to go with, the guys they have decided to go with, hanging on to Gavin Sheets at this point, when it, there's there's things that like they can do to remedy some of the the blemishes and some of the wounds that they're gonna have. But I don't know, like that's that I frustrates th- me. I thought as soon as Liam Hendricks announced that he was going through cancer treatment, I yeah. thought for sure the White Sox would try to inge- address a pitching concern, and, and then the fact that right now we don't even really know if Mike Clevenger is going to play this season. And that and that whole story. I mean, we talked about it last week, but like that in itself, bringing themselves a headache like that, mm-hmm. when nobody else in baseball was putting themselves in that position, and they decided to. But to to have like no backup plan, and then and then here here's what I thought too. If if you, right now they're looking at it of like, okay, well, we're waiting to hear what the league says about Mike Clevenger. Let's say Clevenger is found to, um, you know, he he did the acts that his uh, baby mama said that he did. He's going to be out for a season. That creates an opening in the starting lineup. Are the White Sox going to be 
just so bold to get Trevor Bauer because he's been reinstated, but no man, one wants to touch that. Man, I don't know. And I, I don't think they will just because I don't think the White Sox want to spend $20 million or whatever it is to, to go and get him because I think he's I think he's officially released by the Dodgers, isn't guaranteed any money, so he starts from scratch. But it's going to be a lot of money to get a guy, a guy like Trevor Bauer. But but at the same time, that's that's the type of talent that they need right now in their starting rotation. So this is why I'm a little bit more confident in the Cubs in a weak division. And I think the White Sox would be better off if even in a weak division themselves. Look at these numbers. Offensively, the Cubs are going to struggle. But listen to some of these pitchers that might not be on, that, that aren't even going to be in the starting five, and some of them will be named. But Azalai, Javier Assad, uh, Caleb Killian, you have uh, Adrian Sampson, you have Drew Smiley, Justin Steele, Mark Stroman, Jamison Tyone, Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wesneski, Rowan Wick. Like they have both in the bullpen and starting rotation and a lot of depth. Kyle Hendricks anymore? Kyle Hendricks is going to be gone for the first 60 days, so we don't even know if Hendricks will be on the rotation. I don't even know if Hendricks is going to ever truly regain the form Think he was. Think about that, though. His, yeah. The re- rotation is at a point now where if I were to tell you, like, Kyle Hendricks, the guy who you would think would age the easiest, yeah. won't even be on it, that, and you won't miss a beat. They have done, especially since they got Car- Carter Hawkins from Cleveland, that the the foundation, the pitching depth from yeah. the entire they were kind of building this before Hawkins though, and I think it just kind of that was the 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 final like. But, but this is where I, yeah. I think they don't have to worry about a Hendricks, you know, like yeah, the, exactly. They, they they have so much talent, and that's things I think they'll continue to have talent for the next few years. Where if you know one of those guys gets injured, you might have someone come up right away. You guys can check out the entire article by Patrick Mooney over at the Athletic when Seiya Suzuki is off screen. Vision of next great Cubs team gets blurrier. We'll be all over the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, and everything that happens down in Arizona. And Paulie, of course, we were wrapping things up. You saw something that hit the Twitter feed. What was it? This is insane. Yeah, Friday morning, Sun Times has an article written by Steve Greenberg talking about. Jose Abreu, and it's it's Jose Abreu on life with the Astros and leaving the White Sox, who, quote, weren't a family in 2022. And one of the quotes from Abreu says, when you're at a place where maybe you're not being respected to the point where you think you should be, you just have to go somewhere else. And he, he, um, he you know, it's like he, he wanted to finish his career with the White Sox, but, um, you know, he, he uh just kind of understood that they were clearing a path for Andrew Vaughn and that they weren't really kind of focusing on him anymore. Um, says he still keeps in contact with certain members of the White Sox and that he's just a little stung by how it worked out. But, um, you know, there, he's not... Um, I'm trying to look for the... Ex- um, you know, there's not like animosity or anything like that. And this is written by who? Steve Greenberg. Steve Greenberg over at the Chicago Sun-Times. Sun-Times. So make sure you guys check out the entire article. And you're, this is something you're going to have your eyes on as... The months, the season goes on, and even years on the relationship on the players of this White Sox era, right? Yeah, that's I. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's sad to see him go because you know you're talking about a guy that impactful after after Canerco left. Abreu was pretty much the guy, and there was no fanfare, you know. And you knew that it might be his last game, but he didn't get that standing ovation that Wilson Contreras got before the trade deadline. And there wasn't any announcement by the team that oh, this might be his last game. So I just. I'm I'm happy to see him find success elsewhere, but I feel like we let a good player slip away, and I feel like the way we constructed the roster, this was kind of maybe always going to be the case, and we just 
were kind of closing our eyes to it because we expected him to be hoisting a championship trophy before it happened. It's going to be one of the most fascinating things we look back at over the years on what was that White Sox team, that era of White Sox. We talk about going down in the history books for so many different reasons. It's going to be interesting to see how history plays out those White Sox. With that, we want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at SportsCubicle TV. Say Suzuki is out, might miss the opening day of the Major League Baseball season. What are your thoughts on that? How much does it impact the Chicago Cubs? Pedro Grafal, his first spring training. Your thoughts on the new look? White Sox, let us know all over the socials. For the Marvelous one, Dan Marver. For Devin Single. For the Paul Aces one, Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado.